This is the Creative Coaching Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Lopez. Hope you enjoy this podcast. It's set up and designed for coaches, leaders, and influencers to share their stories and inspire others to share their stories as well. That we can all learn together as a community and get better every day. So thank you for listening. You're season two. Today's guest is David Muchnick. Coach Muchnick is an assistant coach for the men's team at New York University. We talked to him today about not forcing our influence on players, growth, relationships, how not to take shortcuts, and how you win with people. I hope you enjoy this podcast and you look to get better every day. Welcome to the podcast, Coach. Yeah, great to be here, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Coach Muchnick, I, I do appreciate your time. I know uh, right now during these times and in situations you're in, we hear again with the proximity that you, you, you are in to uh, New York City and, and all that and kind of the situation as far as the coronavirus. And, you know, it's kind of become the epicenter, the hot spot uh, of our country. Uh, you know, I just appreciate you taking some time to, to come in and share with us. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's great to be on. I think one of the one of the um, you know kind of uh, the blessings of this whole situation is that uh, you know through through technology, through the coaches clinics that we've been doing, interactive coaches clinics online. Um, you know, I've I've been able to connect with people around the country and and a couple people around the world that I hadn't known before this whole uh, you know pandemic started and. Uh, it's allowed us, obviously, it's a, it's a small world, but it's a big world in, in, in many respects, yeah. uh, both ways, and, and to be able to meet people and get to talk to people and get to know them, uh, be, you know, since since this whole thing began, and, and you're one of those those people. Um, it's been it's been great to to share ideas and, and learn and, and grow and, and just uh, be able to do some things that normally you know, us as busy individuals and busy professionals don't get a chance to do. So it's, it's been great, Mike. And, and I appreciate the invitation to come on. No, no coach. I appreciate you being on you. It's funny what you're saying about how all of a sudden the world shrinks with this technology and it gets smaller. Uh, I was talking to a, uh, a coach earlier this morning and he was talking, we were talking about the PD that's been going on, the professional development that's been going on. And he made a statement. He said, man, it's better than the final four. Uh, it's just been yeah. so much professional development, and and I'm hoping that we're all taking advantage of that as well in our in our kind of in this timeout right now, in this halftime, if you will, uh, to just kind no. of to, to to you know grow. No doubt. I mean, this is I've been I've been in college coaching now 15 years, and I remember the first couple Final Fours I went to. That's back in. 2006, 2007, 2008, that, that era. And, and I remember the coaches clinics, the NABC, that they were, they were must attended. You know, you were going to, you were, you were, you were, Oh, I, I'll get, I'll get a couple of beers later. I want to make sure I hear this person speak, or I'm going to stay in you know six o'clock on a Thursday night and hear this person speak and miss a happy hour. And <laughs> for whatever reason, you know, the, 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 the final fours and the, and the coaches convention, it hasn't, it hasn't been as much the last few years, you know, like the vendors around the convention hall, they've be, they become less and less and the giveaways have become less and less and the, and the speakers that you want to hear, the, the attendees have become less and less. And 
Um, I think this year with, with everything that's going on and, and now these virtual clinics and, and technology and Twitter and social media and all that, it's allowed us as a basketball community to get back to, you know, really trying to grow and learn and, and more, even more so than that, to share ideas with one another. You know, it's yeah. not, it's not just to learn, but it's also being willing to share your ideas with everybody else. And, and that's, you know, that's so important to growing the game and, and, and growing your network, um, you know, nationally and internationally through, you know, through social media and all of these things like that. That's great. You bring up a great point coach, because that's uh that's a lifeblood of the profession is networking is getting to know people. And, uh, because that's, it's, a, it's, it's kind of a fraternity of sorts. Uh, you, you know who, you know, and that's sometimes how you get to where you need to get. And, uh, and if you can do that and you can share thoughts, ideas, big ideas, sometimes small ideas, whatever the case may be, you feel like your voice is being heard and that's when you feel important to a degree. So yeah, that's good stuff. So coach, I want to ask you, how were you introduced to the game of basketball? Yeah. So I, I was very fortunate to grow up in a, in an athletic household. Both my mom and dad played sports growing up. Uh, my dad played football and basketball in high school. My mom played every, every sport under the sun. And uh, it was one of those things that baseball was actually my first love uh, watching on TV and, and throwing a baseball around in my backyard. And it wasn't until I was, you know, six, seven, eight, that basketball became, you know, my favorite sport. And we had a community program in, in the town of Oceanside on Long Island, where I'm from originally. Um, it was uh, it was run by the former varsity coach who was a little bit older at the time. His name was John McMullen. And uh, he used to do this community basketball program. And he called it Rack Basketball. I don't know why we were the Oceanside Sailors uh, was our mascot in high school, but called it Rack Basketball. Yeah. And we used to have a couple hundred kids in this program. They were all elementary school age and it was all the first half of the program was all fundamentals. You'd go to a, an elementary school and a couple times a week and you do drills and you'd, you'd learn basics and footwork and pivoting and dribbling and, and then shooting and, and some stuff, uh, individual skills. And then the second half of the program as the winter, um, you know, went on were games, but the games were secondary to, you know, the basics and the introduction and the skills. And still to this day on my desk, it's actually a gift that my dad gave me, uh, right when I got my first coaching job after college. Um, it's a picture of a father and a son game, uh, that we did at the tail end of one of these rat basketball seasons. Nice. And my dad started this, this father son game. And it was about 15 sons and 15 fathers that were in this picture. And we all had our Oceanside, bas- you know, rat basketball T-shirts on. And um, my dad sent me that picture, uh, and, you know, for one of the first weeks I had uh, on the job, my first job. And um, it was just, hey, no matter no matter the ups and downs of the of the profession and the day to day and everything, you know, always remember why you started, and always remember, you know, that, that this is. And I talk about it all the time. That was my favorite day in basketball was that father son game where the fathers had some different rules where like rebounds had to bounce once before the fathers could pick it up and oh, wow. they had to shoot with their, with their off hands, like inside of 15 feet and um, like all these crazy rules. And it was, yeah. I think the game came down to the wire and, you know, it was a last second shot. I think the fathers ended up winning and like, it was just, it was just a, such a cool 
day, and it still brings a smile to my face every time I think about it. So um, I got introduced to the game of basketball really early because I came from an athletic family, but it wasn't until elementary school and that rat basketball and, and everything in, in the community that really you know, started to further my love of the game, and it continued on you know, through my childhood and, and into college and then after that. That's great, Coach. I like, and that's that's a great story. You know, talking about how you kind of, you know, uh, gravitated towards the game, and it it involves your dad. And there's like nothing better than uh, family and thought memories and thoughts and of our families uh, being attached to that good times. You know, so like you talked about that picture, man. That's that's solid stuff. Now, Coach, you said, but you talked about baseball. You're a Yankees or Mets fan. Uh, I was a diehard Mets fan. So I used to, like when I was growing up and, and my grandparents, uh, both sides of my family lived in the area. My dad's parents weren't as sports people as my mom's parents. And, um, you know, so anytime I was being babysat by by my mom's parents, especially, um, they were they were big Mets fans also. And they would put me in front of a, uh, a Mets game. And at the time it was, so I was born in 83. So it was like 85, 86, 87, 88, right. When the Mets were, were good, they won a world series in 86 and yeah. they were in the NLCS in 88. And so I grew up around the time where the Mets were good and the Yankees weren't. Yeah. And then I get, you know, I get into elementary school and middle school, high school, and the Yankees were winning all those, all those uh, world series and, and the Mets were, were terrible, but um, I've stayed loyal. And it's funny. My dad and I have actually been to, uh, all but three major league ballparks around the country. It's a father son trip that we do every year. We try to hit a couple every year. And, wow. um, you know, we were actually going to try to finish the list this summer before the pandemic hit. But, um, you know, baseball is still, even though basketball is my career and my life and, and, you know, my first love, um, you know, baseball is, is, uh, an important sport to me also. Yeah, no, I, you know, I was an avid card collector back then. You're talking about Dave Cohn, Daryl Strawberry. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. got some big time Keith Hernandez, uh, really good players, man. Lenny Dykstra, even man. So you're, yeah, yeah. It was a great time for baseball as far as for the Mets. Good stuff. I became a Yankees fan because that's all we saw on TV. We really didn't get, <laughs> we really didn't get any other. You know, I didn't have cable, so that's probably why. Uh, we just we got the nationally televised games, and so I became a Yankees fan as a kid. So good, good stuff, sure. Coach. So what was your experience as a basketball player, Coach, coming up? So I was I was always one one of the bigger guys um, on any team that I I was on. I'm six four. I, I pretty much stopped growing in in high school. So, um, but I I was uh, an outside shooter. Uh, you know, if there wasn't a three point line, uh, especially in college, I, I don't know if I would have had a college career. Um, but it was it was one of those things, and you know, like you're, you're shaped by your experiences. And and we used to at my house, we used to have a a basketball hoop at first it was on the side of our house and then uh then we had a bigger driveway and so we had a portable hoop in the driveway but i remember the the, really the first hoop that we had outside my dad put up a hoop on on the side of the house and in the backyard where the hoop was there was probably about 15 feet of concrete out past um you know past where the hoop was but i always wanted to shoot beyond that like I wanted to shoot on the grass I wanted to shoot like we had like a little swing set in the backyard I wanted to shoot behind the swing set like you know it it was it was just my my 
my childhood, my personality, whatever it is. Oh, you know, that's, that's the limit. Okay. I'm going to go a couple steps outside the limit and see <laughs> if I can do that. And, um, always pushing boundaries. Um, but that's, so I, I, I developed an outside shot very early, um, you know, from that, from the way my backyard was constructed and then it just continued on. So I, I still have a couple three point records in my high school, which was a, a very big high school, the largest classification in New York state. Um, and then, uh, in college, um, you know, I, I wasn't a star by any means, but I, I still played in, you know, 60 some odd games and we had a couple 20 win seasons at Geneseo upstate New York near Rochester and Buffalo. Um, and, and some great memories, some, so a lot of teammates that are still very good friends of mine today that, you know, group chats and we try to do a reunion every so often. And, um, we played up in Rochester this year with NYU, uh, cause they're in our league and we had, uh, I had five or six teammates between the hotel and, and the, and the game the next day, uh, be able to see me cause they, they still live up in that area. So, um, you know, my experience with the game was, was one, you know, again, based off of, you know, the, the fact that I love the game and I was willing to put in the work, but, but also the relationships that I built and the friendships that I still have to this day. That's great coach. Here again, the, if the game is kind of built around camaraderie and connections and relationships, uh, the game is going to be really, really good to you, you know, uh, you know, put aside wins and losses because yeah, th that means a lot. However, you know, those relationships, that's the only thing you really take with you at the end of the day. You can't take wins and losses with you to your, to your grave, man. You just can't. So that's, that's good stuff, right. coach. So, you know, who in particular or what in particular influenced you to go into the coaching profession? Well, I would start early on. My dad, uh, despite having a job that, uh, you know, that really was the busy season for him was always in the winter. He, he still to this day is, is working at 66. Uh, you know, he works for a home heating oil company. And that's obviously the, the winter is the busy season. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, but at the same time, you know, all through my, my upbringing, my childhood, soccer and basketball, baseball, you name it. Uh, you know, he always volunteered to coach. He always was, was volunteering his time. And, and, uh, and I'm very, very thankful for it still to this day. Um, even if I, if I didn't show that, uh, appreciation always when I was, when I was being coached by him, I, I appreciate it a lot more now as an adult, that's for sure. But, yeah. um, you know, so he's obviously the first, the first uh, person that, that influenced me in terms of coaching and just my love for the game and that I wanted to stay in, in basketball in some way, shape or form. My, my bachelor's degree is in communication. If I didn't go into coaching, I probably went to, would have gone into something with sports journalism or broadcast journalism, but, um, I would say it was something that I always had talked about doing. And then, and then as I moved through my college years, the more, the more I was immersed in the college basketball world, the more I wanted to stay in it, you know? So I would do some camps and, and some stuff in the summers and I would, I would do anything I could just to stay in the game and, and make a little money where I could, but it was more about the game than anything else. And, um, and then I was very fortunate right after college to have a couple interviews, um, you know, to get an assistant job right away. And I was very lucky to, to get on with a, a school that was in our conference up at Geneseo, a school called uh, Cortland, which is another state a school in New York State, uh, just south of Syracuse. And uh, they were very similar programs, Cortland and Geneseo, in terms of uh, the types of players that were there, the types of personalities that were there, the schools were a little bit different academically, but uh, my college coach and the, the first coach that I worked for, Tom Spanbauer, uh, both came up 
as head coaches in the conference uh, around the same time. So they were, they were friendly. Um, and so I, I got on with Cortland and my first year in coaching, we were 24 and five and made it the second round of the NCAA tournament in division three. And I thought every year was going to be like that. Yeah, and, yeah. and we lost three really good seniors. And, and the next year we were, we were 10 and 16 and you, you learn very quickly that, that every year is not going to be like that. But, um, you know, I was very, very lucky to stay in the game and, and I'm very fortunate still to this day to, to be doing something I love. That's great coach. So like within that experience of your, say your first year coaching, that first time uh, you stepped on the court as a coach, do you remember anything about that experience that just, you know, stopped you in your tracks and you were like, okay, I'm, I'm a coach now. Is there any kind of memory like that you can recall? Yeah, it's, it's actually one that I still talk about with a lot of people as, as, as um, you know, as younger coaches are coming up and, and, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm, my personality is I'm willing to talk to anybody. I'd be willing to talk to a, a wall if it's, uh, you know, if it talked back to me, but, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a New York thing, I guess. I don't yeah. know, but, um, but my, my, I would say a really, a really vivid first experience memory as a coach was, uh, a couple months into coaching and, and, and remember, like I said, so Cortland and Geneseo were in the same conference and now I'm, I'm, I'm going from being a, a college senior and being on their scouting reports to now coaching a lot of them that, um, you know, that knew who I was yeah. and to them, I'm a peer. I'm not a coach to them. I'm not an authority figure. Like, yeah, I've been hired to be a coach on the staff, but, but I'm, I'm still like, I'm a year or two older than them. If that, um, and there was actually even a player that was coming back and he was a non-traditional student. He was 25. He was, he was wow. two or three years older than me, my first year of coaching. And he was a, a very good player on that 24 and five team. But, um, you know, so anyway, I remember just being in the office and a couple of guys coming in the office and it was just me there with the, with the guys. And, and one of them called me by my first name and I, I corrected them and you know, I'm, I'm not David, I'm coach. And they all look at, you know, it's a little, little awkward and tension and everything else. And I remember going to meet my boss at the time for a drink right after, you know, leaving the office. And I, I remember telling him that, that instance that, Hey, you know, I, I was puffing out my chest. You know, they called me David and you know, I, I told him, no, I'm not David, I'm coach. And he pulls me aside away from everybody else at the, at the, the establishment we were at. And he just said, you know, you don't have to force your title onto them. They're going to know uh, your title, they're going to know your influence in them by the work in which you do day to day. And, wow. um, you know, and you don't have to be called coach to have that type of relationship with the players. And yeah. that stuck with me still to this day. Like I will not, my first interaction with a recruit, my first interaction with another coach, whatever it is, I never call myself coach Muchnick. I always say, Hey, my name is David Muchnick. I'm, I'm at NYU or I'm at Maine Maritime or at Merchant Marine, wherever I've been. And, you know, and, and that's, we, none of us were named coach out of the womb. You know, uh -huh. we all take ourselves way too seriously in this business. Yeah. And so 15 years ago, my first experience as a coach that stuck with me still to this day is don't force your influence on the players that you're coaching. They will call you coach. You will have that. You will have that authority figure or title or whatever it is with them, but you don't have to, you know, you don't have to force it on them. And, and still like, like I, I some, some players that I've coached, you know, I don't call myself coach. I call myself David and they want to call me coach. They want to call me much instead of much Nick or whatever. Like, 
you let them call you whatever whatever you want you know whatever they want you to, to, to be called you're you're going to have that influence no matter what your title they're going to know they know you're you're a coach but you don't have to force feed that on them and, and so that's something that's that's always stuck with me that's great coach i like what you said don't force or what you were told don't force your influence on them there's nothing worse than an adult uh an authority figure somebody that has a title to try to force influence on young people they don't buy it and and a matter of fact you'll probably hear more about yourself behind your back and you know as a result you know that's uh sure. you're inviting all kinds of uh silliness to kind of you know be birthed out of forcing your influence i that's just great that's great advice for any coaches out there listening young coaches listening that uh yeah, don't force your influence on them. You're, you're going to have to earn it, first of all. Second of all, uh, you know, don't don't act like because you got some kind of title now that you can't get into the gym because your head's too big. Uh, and, and like you said, coach, don't take yourself so serious. You know, it's 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 a blessing to be at that to be a coach, first of all. Second of all, it's one of those things where you got to realize you actually have influence, and then you know to kind of wield it and kind of nurture it and take care of it because you might not always have it so you know use it wisely so that's great coach i appreciate you bringing up that story because that is a great you don't force your influence on people that's golden it's really golden so coach what excites you you know because you seem like an excitable coach a guy who's going to get out there like you said love to talk to people love to get out there and mix it up what excites you about coaching young people i think i think just seeing growth day to day building relationships day to day um, you know, and, and that, that there really aren't shortcuts to success. I know it's something that all coaches say, but it really is true. Like I, I really, truly, you know, I've been at a bunch of different colleges in different parts of the country and different types of academic institutions. I've been a head coach, I've been an assistant coach, but none of that, none of those things, whether I'm in Maine, Ohio, New York, uh, federal service Academy, a private liberal arts university like NYU or a state school like Cortland or John Jay, um, people are people and, and you win with people. And, and that's something that Woody Hayes used to say all the time, the famous football coach from Ohio state, yeah. you know, you truly do win with people. And, and what excites me the most is being able to help people get to where they want to go that they couldn't go to on their own. I mean, otherwise, why would you have, why do you need coaches in this profession? If, yeah. if we're not, if we're not adding value, why are we here? Why are athletic departments and institutions paying us good money to, you know, to be there? And it's not just the coaching and the X and O's and, and, you know, putting, you know, putting Jimmy here or putting Mike here. It's, it's the relationship building. It's the growth. It's the life learning it's the teachable moments, it's the experiences. Those are the things that are the best. Now, in Maine Maritime, where I was a head coach my third year, uh, we took the guys on the first international trip that any program had ever been on in the athletic department in the history of the, of the school. We went, and obviously I'm in Maine, so Canada's not that far away, but we took the guys to Montreal, and we had 10 extra practices through the NCAA uh, rules. And we played two exhibition games, and, and we, we won one, we lost one, but we took the guys to, to the Olympic Stadium in Montreal, and, and we, we did a whole bunch of sightseeing. I took the guys down to New York, where I'm from, twice, and we played, uh, we played Merchant Marine, we played SUNY Maritime, we played Lehman College in the Bronx at two different trips. 
and we saw uh, you know ground zero in the World Trade Center one, one you know one trip. We I took the guys to the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Now remember, this is Maine. This is like this is rural Maine. There's yeah, more yeah. more more trees and more wildlife than people in a lot of these these towns. Yeah. And I'm taking them into maybe one of the three or four most famous art museums in the world. Yeah. And three quarters of the guys had never been to a museum before, let alone the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And all I was doing, I'd been there numerous times before. And, and more often than not, I'm not just looking at the artwork. I'm watching our guys look at the artwork. Yeah. And to me, that's, you know, so that excited, excited me as much as, as winning a big game is, is putting the guy, you know, putting our players wherever I've been in, in situations that will help them grow, will help them learn, will help them become better human beings and young men and fathers and, you know, and, and, and uncles and brothers and sons and everything, you know, keep, you know, keep moving forward with that. Um, you know, that's, that's what excites me as much as anything is, is the relationships that we're building and the teachable moments that we have that we're really, we're really growing 18 to 22 year old young men in, in the whole, uh, the most holistic sense of, of every way possible from educational moments to teachable moments to, you know, life moments. When you talk about discipline and time management and, and all and responsibility and leadership and all of that, I mean, it's, it goes way beyond the court for me. Um, but basketball, the, the classroom, the medium that we have to, to reach these guys. And uh, I'm, I'm so still to this day, uh, there hasn't been a day in 15 years I haven't been thankful and grateful to be in this business. That's great, Coach. I, I, I love that story because I think it kind of, for myself, it mirrors like when I take my kids to Disneyland and <laughs> I see them have fun. Like that makes, that brings joy to my heart. Like I don't, I'm not going to, if you left me at Disneyland by myself, I'm going to walk right back out. Like, I don't, you know, it's the greatest place on earth. However, it's not for me because I'm, I just don't whatever. And, but I see my kids smiling, having a good time. And that's just, uh, like you said, growth. Uh, You feel like, wow, I'm proud of the fact that we're here and they're experiencing this. And that's something that I don't know. A lot of coaches really need to kind of, uh, I guess, implement into our processes is what are we doing to bring growth, to expand their minds, their horizons? Uh, how are we making suggestions on how they can grow as individuals? Uh, you talked about a holistic approach. Very important because there's a bigger menu that they need to see. It's not just about basketball. This game isn't just about being a player. There's so much more you can do with this game. And I hope that other coaches are out there doing that. And so, yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up, Coach. So, you know, we talked earlier kind of about, you know, the, the crisis that we're in and you're there in, in New York State, but specifically since you coach at NYU, uh, how are you processing this whole crisis, Coach? Yeah, it's it's tough, you know, and, and it's I saw something on, on Twitter the other day. It was a, a meme or a picture. It said that we're you know, as, as professionals, and this is, this is to everybody, not just the basketball world, but we're not, we're not working from home right now so much as we're basically trying to work through a crisis. You know, we're, we're all, this is a very traumatic time in, in our country, uh, all over the country. I don't care where you are um, or where you're listening from. Um, this is, this is uh, something that, that is probably going to affect you. Thank, thankfully, it hasn't affected anybody that I know personally. 
yeah. yet in terms of in terms of that you know somebody needs to be hospitalized or god forbid something worse yeah. um you know i have i have a, a very good friend whose father um, was was diagnosed with with covid uh last week and he's doing fine he's he's at his house and, and recovering and all that and a couple people other people that i know but it's such a it's such a crazy time right now and and we we truly are all in this together and and everything that that one person does or doesn't do affects so many others and and that's how it that's how it is spread in the first place and that's hopefully how we'll be able to to minimize the the reach of this uh you know pandemic hopefully in in due time and 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 as it runs its course but um you know just being there for our guys and being there for the other coaches on our staff, you know, Dagan Nelson, our head coach, Dante Milligan, our other assistant, um, you know, the three of us, we, we jump on a conference call almost every day or every other day just to check in with each other, see how we're doing besides, you know, try to, you know, do some, do some work, uh, the three of us as well. Um, you know, checking in with our players. We had a zoom call with our guys the other night, as I'm sure most colleges around the country are doing with their players. Uh, we're in a unique situation in that we have so many guys from all over, not just the country, but we have a couple international guys also on our roster. One's from, one's from Russia. Wow. Uh, we have a guy from uh, Vancouver, Canada. Yeah. Um, you know, so we have, you know, we have some international flavor on our team as well, not just California and and Texas and Florida and, and, you know, other parts of the country. Yeah. Um, you know, so we, you know, just checking in with the guys, making sure that they know, that uh, you know that we're looking out for them and, and we're there for them if they need us in any way and um, and then just how how I'm doing and <laughs> it's you know just day by day you know every day feels like a week right now but yeah. you know you're you're just trying to to get through it and and uh, and keep track of what's most important which is which is your family your health um, you know and and you know thankfully that you have a, a roof over your head and and food and. And uh, that I'm still employed by a, you know, an employer that, uh, you know, that thankfully, you know, isn't, isn't going out of business anytime soon, you know, with NYU being one of the, you know, really the largest private university in the country. Um, You know, so we're, we're, we're in in, in all grand scheme of things. I'm I'm doing well, all things considering I, I always, before I go to sleep, I, I take a moment just to realize how, how lucky and thankful I am that, uh, you know that that my family and and myself and everybody that I love is is healthy and safe for another day. That's great, Coach. So I would ask you, uh, kind of to piggyback off that, is what matters most to you during these times? Like, what are you focusing on? What are you kind of meditating on right now? Yeah. So I have I have friends of mine that are in the healthcare industry, whether it be doctors or nurses, and um, you know just you know praying that they continue to be safe and law enforcement, FDNY and, and NYPD and uh, police on Long Island as well. And, um, and just, uh, you know, that, that they continue to stay safe and healthy. Um, and then also that when we, you know, once we all as a, you know, as a community, as one national community comes through this or global community, I should say, um, that comes through this, that we, you know, some of the things that we're all doing now, checking in on, on each other a little bit more often and, you know, seeing your neighbors or, um, or, or you know, Zoom or, or FaceTiming somebody that normally you would send a text to, um, you know, just th- that, that little extra sense of care uh, to make sure that the other people in your life know 
you know, how much they mean to you and that, that you're looking out for them and that you're there for them if, if, uh, if they need you and vice versa. I think that extra level of care is something that I hope that we as a global community um, take with us after this pandemic kind of quiets down and hopefully evaporates one day with a, you know, with a cure and a, and a vaccination and all that. I hope that, that we all, you know, continue on and, and, and do those things. And that's something that as a, as a lifelong New Yorker, you know, September 11th is, uh, is a date, you know, 2001 is a date that, that will always, re, you know, ring very strong with me. I was a freshman in college. I was three weeks into, uh, you know, to being a college freshman and, um, and to see the, the twin towers go down, but I, I say to to people all the time, and I always put up on on social media on on September 11th. You know, the the the, the country on September 12th, 2001, was as close as any time in my in my lifetime, and it was because we all. You know, we all took care of each other. We all were feeling the same pain. It didn't matter yeah. what our background was, where we were from, what our nationality is, religion, race, you name it. Um, you know, we were all Americans. And, and uh, you know, hopefully after this thing kind of quiets down and we get get through this, I hope that we can have, as a, as a global community, we can have that September 12th mentality that we all, you know, we all are in this together and we all should be taking care of one another. That's great, Coach. That's very profound. Uh, to kind of take that, to listen to that and take that approach because uh, you're right. I, I saw, you know, that at the time I was I was working for a government contractor and they shut us down and we didn't understand really what was happening because we didn't have any TVs in our, in, our, in our space. So it wasn't until I got home probably a couple of hours later because I, I said, oh, y'all go home early because of this. All right, so I'm going to go out and get me some good lunch. And, uh, you know, I finally get back home and my dad is like glued to the TV and I'm thinking, okay, if this, if he's glued to the TV, something must really be going on. Cause my dad's very active. And, uh, so I was like, wow, everything, everything changed that day. And you're right. That cohesiveness that it kind of brought us into and uh, camaraderie, uh, it was like, we were all comforting each other and our fears. And, and yeah, so my hope is the same as yours coach that when we get through this, that we're all better for it. And I, and I believe that will happen as well. So coach, and I, I, I use this word sacrifice kind of maybe even as an investment as well. Like what have you invested in your life or sacrificed in your life to be where you're at right now? Sure. That's a great question, Mike. I, I, I have a, a little bit more of a unique path than others uh, in this, in this business. Um, and the profession we're in. So, uh, like I mentioned earlier in the, in the podcast, I, this is my, I just finished my 15th year in college coaching six different colleges in three States. And my first college coaching job at Cortland, I was making $8,000 a year, uh, over, over 10 months. And, and I was taking grad classes, uh, that the state paid for, for half my master's being a state employee. Um, but I was making just as much money, in the three months of the summer when class, when school wasn't in session yeah. at Cortland between camps and, and uh, I was working at a bar and I was, I was, you know, doing, doing like four or five other things on the side and I was making, making enough money just to, to supplement myself. And then I get a job at Denison university in Ohio and I was making about, about 34, $33,000, $34,000, but I was also coaching golf at the time. And, it was a similar situation at Cortland where I was on a 10 month contract. So I was able to still do uh, camps and, and clinics and, and a little something to, to make ends meet. 
Um, I came back to New York at, at the Merchant Marine Academy where I was for four years and uh, middle of my fourth year, I was uh, I became an interim head coach. I had taken over the program under uh, some adverse uh, circumstances um, when the head coach got let go, and um, you know, and and that started a little path for me of, of of a little uncertainty. So finishing out that year, I took a head coaching job after that year in Maine. Uh, so I sacrificed, uh, you know, being away from, you know, being back away from my family after several years of being in New York and, and you know, at, at the Merchant Marine Academy where I, I, you know, I really enjoyed my time there and I was a half an hour away from home. Um, you know, so I go up to Maine, I take a head coaching job up there and in the middle of my third year, actually the beginning of my third year, um, I had uh, a bump inside my forehead and uh, I went to a doctor and they didn't think it was anything serious and after the season ended this was uh, the, the spring of 2017 um, I had a surgery to at the time to remove this this uh, what they thought was just a fatty cyst a tumor um, inside my forehead cavity and it turned out to be cancerous wow. and so I'm in the middle of of two surgeries I had to have a second much more invasive surgery at the end of April and um, I just made a decision at that time that that Maine you know wasn't the place I needed to be and this was kind of something that was kind of pushing me, you know, back to New York and, and just out of that situation, uh, personally and professionally. So I came back to New York, had that second surgery, uh, got healthy. It took a couple months of, of recovery to do that. And, uh, and I sacrificed a lot. I mean, I sacrificed a, a head coaching job and a program that I thought we were, you know, right on the cusp of turning things around in a, in a, in a really steep rebuilding situation. And uh, I had to take an assistant job again. I, I went and worked for Ryan Highland at John Jay College in uh, in New York City on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And yeah. um, and, and uh, it was a friend of mine, a, a guy that I, I coached against when I was at Merchant Marine, and he was a Catholic. And then uh, he got his head job at John Jay around the same time I got mine in Maine, and we stayed in close contact because we were taking over programs in very similar situations. And now. I'm back in New York and I need to, to find a way to stay in coaching. And um, we had talked a couple times later on in that summer and uh, he brought me on and I was, I was back to, to kind of making peanuts and, and doing four or five other things and, you know, training of some middle school and high school kids on the side and, you know, working at another a different type of bar and, and, and anything that I could just to, to make enough money to survive in the business. And then, um, you know, this past year I, I came on board at NYU and, you know, I've known Dagan for a long time, but you know, again, I'm, I'm still, an, an, I'm back to being an assistant where I was a head coach and I had proved myself in, in, in knowing what I was doing and, and knowing how to, how to run a program. So sacrificing to stay in this business, but also, um, to stay in an area where I really want to be in New York, which is close to friends and family and, and, uh, the location that I truly want to be in. And, um, you know, the, those, the, the situation of, of becoming a head coach again, you know, that's something that's at the forefront of my mind always, but you know, certain things are more important to me now. And, and above all else is, is my health and, and making sure that I'm taking care of myself a little bit better than I was at, at other times of my career. And, um, so I've, I've sacrificed a, a decent amount, but it hasn't truly, it really hasn't felt a hundred percent like sacrifice because it's a, it's a profession that, as I mentioned earlier, that I love being a part of every day. And I can't imagine doing anything else besides this. And I'm willing to do whatever I need to do to, to stay in it and, and continue on. And, and that's what I've done, you know, at different stages of my coaching career, no matter where I've been or, 
or what my role was. Wow. That's, you said a mouthful coach and I can tell you, <laughs> I can tell you, man, like, wow. Like as an onlooker is just hearing that and kind of going through that, that whole uh, process and the timelines and man, it's just, you know, a lot of respect coach, a lot of respect for you for that whole situation. And it, it kind of staying, I don't know, as Sinatra said, I did it my way. Sounds like you're doing it your way. And uh, that's a great thing, coach. So, wow, kudos to you, coach. It's, it's really good stuff, especially surviving cancer, man. That's, uh, that's, a, that's a tough one. I mean, I've been through it in my family. And so, yeah, it's one of those things where there's so much uncertainty. You talk about right now being in certain times. When you go through something like that, those are real uncertain times. The fear of the unknown just, you know, jumps out at you. But, man, I'm, I'm, I am, I'm very happy for you, Coach. That's great stuff. Thank you. So, Coach, you know, you, all these experiences, all these stops that you've had, what have you learned about yourself throughout your career? Uh, it's something I think about a lot because it shapes, it shapes the professional, the person, you know, the friend, the, the, you know, the, the brother, the son, the uncle, Wow. Um, you know, you, you have to, you, you have to be who you are and not allow circumstances or environment to change who you are. And I, I give you an example of, you know, when I was at Merchant Marine and like I said, I, I took over the program in the middle of the year, it was a very difficult situation for everybody around the program. And, and now I'm going from in the middle of the year when we're not playing very well at the time we were one and four we were last place in the conference middle of january and i now have to to take over a program that i was an assistant one day and now i'm, I'm a head coach the next day and you're trying to to pick the spirits up you're trying to rally the troops you're trying to 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 come together for a common goal and i did it on the fly i mean we we I was the only assistant in, on the staff there. So now I, I, I take over the program and there's no other basketball staffers that are, that are there. So I'm, I'm having to do everything. But at the end of the day, and I said this to the players when, when our, the first meeting that we had, I'm not going to change just because my title has changed in a certain way. Like I, I'm still going to be the same person. I'm still going to coach the same way. I'm still going to be positive. I'm still going to be upbeat. I'm going to be authentic. I'm not going to all of a sudden change who I am because my title has changed or my authority has changed. Like that's, I don't believe that, that you are, you are who you are, at least you should be no matter what the circumstances or the environment. So yeah. that's something that no matter where I've been and I've, I've coached at many different types of institutions. So you're coaching different types of players, different upbringings, different academic uh, achievement levels, uh, different types of, uh, academics that they're learning, you know, the, the, the two maritime schools that I coached at, they were, they were science and math based. And now I'm at NYU, which is much more of a liberal arts private university base. Yeah. Um, but you are, you have to be who you are, you know? So, so yeah, you're going to change maybe how you, 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 uh, spread your message, but you can't change who you are because the, the, the people around you, they'll see right through you. You know, people are not dumb. They will see a fake and a phony very, very quickly, yeah. and you won't fool anybody doing it. Yeah. And so the way I am with the guys I'm coaching at NYU is the same exact way I was at John Jay, the same exact as at Maine and Merchant Marine and Denison and Cortland. None of those places have changed 
how I how I coached the players, but they've certainly it certainly changed me as a professional of being exposed to new experiences and, and different ways of learning and different ways of coaching and, and all of that. So so that that first and foremost is the authenticity that you have to have as a person in this business, being around college guys that you're trying to mold and, and teach and 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 learn from also. Um, you have to be a hundred percent who you are because anything less will, you know, will, the, the players will, and the administration will see right through it. Yeah, no, for sure. You, you're talking about just being an authentic person, man, and being real. And you know, if who you are is what got you where you're at, continue to do it, be the same person and don't let, you know, you said earlier about authority, you're, you know, just cause you're given authority or a title, does it give you the right to start, you know, like we talked about earlier, enforcing your influence on people and, and just kind of just be a person, be a real person. Don't be a robot uh, because nobody expects, you know, to for, nobody expects to have the same experiences with you if you change. And, you know, if who you are is what people like, do it. But that's that's a great learning lesson, Coach, because some of us, we, we go from here to there. You know, even sometimes winning streaks can do that to us. It changes. You know, certain things, there's, you get a little write-up in a, in, a, in a publication or online, and all of a sudden we think we're the greatest thing since sliced bread or the, wor- or, or, or the worst thing sometimes. And so we just really got to keep it even keel. And so that's great stuff, Coach. So my last question, Coach, is always about legacy. And I know you're, you still got a long time to go, even though you've been in the game already for 15 years at this level. Uh, I still know you, you have a ways to go. However, I would, you know, I think about Stephen Covey, the seven habits and beginning with the end in mind, because I, I just think like how we operate and conduct ourselves will ultimately determine what our legacy was and how we treated people. And so, Coach, I would ask you about legacy is what would you want to be said of you once your career is all said and done? Yeah, that's a, it's a heavy question uh, because you know, so you know, we it's tough because you you're in this profession first and foremost because you love the game and you love the guys that you're you're around, but then the profession and and the industry moves you around from place to place like there there are very very few people in the in the in the you know high school college coaching world um and professional coaching world too that stay in one place for a long time you know it's you're bouncing around and and different you know you're trying to to go up the ladder or you get knocked down a little bit now you you go you go lateral you go here you go there um but every place i've been so far in my career um, and this is something that I, I take a lot of pride in that the program was better after, as I'm leaving, yeah. after I'm leaving wow. than it was when I first got there and every place that I've been. Um, and that to me means that my presence and, and things that I'm doing relationships that I'm building in some small way, shape or form is able to help a program that's way bigger than any one individual, um, help it to move forward and to be on more solid foundation than it was before you got there. And yeah. I think, uh, you know, having, you know, having that, that legacy of that, my presence helped people, um, helped the program, helped things that are 
more important than me as an individual, um, that to me would be uh, a great a great legacy to have. And whether I'm at a place for you know three or four or five years, or a place 15, 20, 25, which is what I would hope to do one day when I get another head coaching job, and hopefully it'll be a place that. I could put down roots and I would want to stay like they're taking care of me and I'm taking care of them. And it's a, a mutually beneficial relationship for everybody. Um, you know, that's what I hope to, to have. And um, you know, when you have players calling you up, Hey, I'm, I'm coming down to New York for work. You want to grab a, you know, you want to grab a beer, you know, the former guys that you coached or guys that are, you know, having, kids now and and uh, weddings and being invited to weddings and and all those things and that's that to me is the best part of the profession from the player coach relationship is that your presence not only helped them when they were between the lines but much more importantly that they're calling you and you know asking for advice on should I take this job or should I or should I stay in where I'm at or you know or or something you know related to their lives or you know the good things in their lives like like marriages and kids and yeah. and and all of that you know those are those are the special things and then as as professionals um you know that I was able to help people get to where they want to go by having by, by sharing experiences and, and advice that I have through, through my time in different places and how I can help other people to either not make the same mistakes that I did or to navigate different um, roadblocks along the way. And, and I, I brought up Ryan Highland at John Jay as an example. And, and that's something where, you know, my time with him and two years spent there being back as an assistant after being a head coach um, I had to take a step back, but at the same time, my my presence was was wanted by him as somebody that's a little bit younger than me. And, hey, how did you handle this, or how do you think I should do this? Yeah. And kind of being that sounding board, kind of being that that chief of staff in a way to the president, or that um, you know that uh, that Silvio to the Tony Soprano for those <laughs> Sopranos fans out there, yeah. you know that 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 second in command that that. Uh, that consigliere in, in a way um, that's that to me is is uh, is very important to me and, and helping helping people grow I sent three or four messages out on Twitter last night actually late late in the night to people that had just followed me on Twitter and you know through the coaches clinics and through other you know podcasts and other things of people that have have been able to connect with me or I've been able to connect with them over the last several weeks and I sent a message out to them like, Hey, I love what you're doing in this aspect of your career or looking up their bio or seeing their Twitter feed. If there's a way that I can help you reach out with me, I, I will, I will, I will ha- talk to you on the phone. I will, I will, you know, when this whole thing is done, I'll, I'll meet you where, you know, if there's, if there's a, a common place we can meet, if I can help somebody along the way, to not make the, the same mistakes that I did or to help them have a, a more successful career because of things that I'm able to share. Um, I think that to me is, is a great legacy to have also. And that, that helps all of us. And that's, you know, that, that level of, um, you know, of, of selflessness, I think needs to, to be more prevalent in our, in our profession. I think it is to an extent, but I think the more we all are willing to share our own experiences, the better off we'll all be. Coach. I appreciate you, and I thank you for your time. It's been great, very informative, very real. And so 
I thank you so much for taking the time and spending the time with us. Mike, the pleasure is mine. I appreciate the time. It's great to connect with you. Um, you know, Texas to New York. The next time I'm in San Antonio, we'll grab a beer. And, yeah, for sure. Um, and I look forward to, you know, I look forward to meeting you one day, but I really appreciate you having me on. I've listened to a bunch of your, your, your interviews and podcasts before you do a fantastic job. Thank so you. keep it up and, Thank and you. you know, God bless. Thank you. Likewise, coach. Take care.